Will you please turn with me in your Bibles this morning to the sixth chapter of the Gospel according to Matthew, where we are going to be focusing this morning on verses 5 through 8. That's Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 8, and you can find that passage on page 950 in your pew Bibles. We are this week, and for at least a couple of more weeks yet to come, continuing to make our way really through just the beginning of this sixth chapter of Matthew, as we consider together what it looks like to live out our Christian faith before the very face of Almighty God. And as I mentioned to you last week, we have here in this sixth chapter really a beautiful picture of the Christian living in special relationship to God through union with Jesus Christ by faith. Because of Jesus Christ, because of His perfect work for us, because of His life, His death, His resurrection, because of His perfect righteousness being imputed to us, we have been entirely, completely reconciled to Almighty God through Him. We have been named the blessed children of our Heavenly Father. We have been granted the full rights of true heirs of a heavenly inheritance. If, by the grace of God, we have embraced Jesus Christ through faith alone. Though we were dead in trespasses and sins, we know that Christ came, He lived a perfectly blameless life according to the law, And being found blameless in the eyes of the law, he took upon himself the penalty for our law-breaking. He stood in our place as our substitute. He received upon himself the, the wrath of Almighty God poured out against our sin. Beloved, he endured not only the horrors of the cross itself, but having your sin and my sin placed upon him. Of course, we know this, right? This is the gospel. It's the very reason that you and I ought to delight in gathering together this Lord's Day or any given Lord's Day for that matter with the express purpose of our hearts being to offer up worship to him, to glorify him. To honor Him. We deserve wrath. And yet through the incomprehensible love and mercy of Almighty God, we have been given grace through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Beloved, that is the gospel. And I hope that as the children of God, we never tire hearing it. We never tire of hearing it. The gospel of Jesus Christ and the grace that has been poured out upon us as his people are the very things that motivate us in this life to live for his glory. It should bring about that fruit of gratitude in our lives as his particular people. Right? We say that the church, in the Greek, the, the word is ekklesia, it's the called out ones. We are those who have been called out. We have been distinguished from the world, not merely as those who have eternal life somewhere out there in the distant future after we die, 
when we lay aside this pound of troublesome flesh. But by the grace of God, beloved, we are those who have eternal life right now. When the Holy Spirit opens our eyes and our ears, when He gives us understanding, and He allows us to perceive Jesus Christ and His work by faith, the Bible tells us that we become new creations. The old man dies. The old man is crucified with him. And the new man is raised with him to newness and resurrected life. We are regenerated, right? We are born again. And having been made new through our union with Jesus Christ by faith, we are now called to live as unto him. We are different. We are separated from the world. The old motivations, though they're certainly still there, tempting us continually, that constant groaning of our flesh, we find as the children of God that they supply no true, no real satisfaction for us. We, because of our union with Jesus Christ by faith, have become those who now hunger and thirst for righteousness. We are those who are now meek, Though at one time it was against our nature. We are those who live before the very face of our Father in heaven, knowing that nothing that we do, nothing that we say, nothing that we think, ever for a moment escapes the notice of our Father in heaven. And as I mentioned to you last week, beloved, that though that in and of itself is a terrifying thing for us to consider. Because we know our own fallenness. We know the constant cries of our sinful flesh all too well. Though it is, in a sense, terrifying, it at the same time should fill the true child of God with an unspeakable joy. It should cause praises to well up and to issue forth from our mouths as we adore Almighty God who knows us truly. Not simply the way we present ourselves to others, but knows us really and completely knows our hearts and somehow still loves us. Even to the extent that he sent his only begotten son to die for us. Beloved, we have been made the legitimate children of God through the glorious person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we, as his children, We see here in this sixth chapter of Matthew just a glimpse of the life of the true child of God lived out in this sinful flesh that we all wear. And we see it specifically here in some of the particulars of our worship and our service to Almighty God. Last week we saw the way in which we are to live out our lives, doing our acts of piety, our acts of righteousness and service to God. And as I said, though there is certainly instruction for us here, and there is beauty in the life that God, by His grace, gives to us on this side of glory, there is also very evident here a very stark picture of the far-reaching depths of our sinfulness. As those who are the sons and daughters of Adam, we see the effects of our fallen flesh even upon our, our acts of worship. Our acts of service when we would consider ourselves even to be at our best. 
Beloved, we see this tension throughout the Bible. We see it as well in our own lives as the spirit that is within us is at war with our flesh. And yet, even amid that tension, we find here our Lord expounding upon one of the most precious gifts that you and I are given as the particular children of God, the gift of prayer. The gift of communion with our Father in heaven. And this morning, as we look at this text before us, it's my hope to point out to you just three principles of prayer that Jesus gives us for our consideration at the very outset of his teaching on what is a most important subject. I'd like to talk about what our approach to this most precious gift really should be on this side of the glory of heaven. So, would you please follow along as I read now from the holy, inerrant, and infallible Word of God, Matthew chapter 6, again verses 5 through 8. Hear now the Word of our Lord. Jesus speaking says, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut the door, pray to your father who is in the secret place. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, Do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful again for your word this morning. We're grateful that we have this time together to look to it. I pray that you would... Clear our hearts and our minds this morning of the many, many things in this life that distract us. And as we consider this critical aspect of the Christian life, Father, we pray that you would fill us with your spirit. That we would understand these things, that we would know these things, and through the power of your spirit applying your word to our lives, Father, we pray that we would live more and more for your glory and your glory alone. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Jesus, you will remember back in verse 2, gave to his disciples a negative, a negation. In other words, he he told them something that they were not to do. We discussed it last week at length. They were not to live as before the face of their fellow man. But they were to live as before the face of Almighty God. They were to live, as we said, quorum Deo, before the face of God. And in verse 2, with regards to their deeds, such as their righteousness, their lives of piety, they were not to let the left hand know what the right hand was doing. They were to do all that they do as before the face of Almighty God who sees all and who truly knows all. Beloved, it was a call to abandon self. To abandon self-interest and especially self-worship, which of course flows from those. 
It's a call to do what is entirely unnatural for sinful human beings to do apart from a supernatural work of God upon our hearts. We are called to live unto God, delighting in His glory. And subsequently, we are called to deny ourselves in the process. It's an important principle for us to understand, and it's one we see repeated in one form or another, really, throughout this entire sixth chapter of Matthew, and we see it throughout Scripture. Beloved, we must get this. We must understand this. We must see that Jesus here is not calling them to another work in His name. He's not telling them that they are now to strive and to work and to eventually earn the right to be called the sons and daughters of the Most High God. But throughout this entire sermon, and especially here in this sixth chapter of Matthew, he's calling on his children to take heed of themselves and then to necessarily look unto him, to search their own hearts to question their own motives, to understand that unless a man is born again, he will never be able to see these things in his own life. We are to constantly be aware of our own condition as fallen, sinful human beings. We cannot be thankful enough for the gift of the grace of God in Jesus Christ if we don't first understand exactly what we are apart from His grace. We talk about it all the time. Though we certainly try in our flesh to be lawmakers, we are lawbreakers. We are sinners standing in the dire need of God's grace. And even as Jesus is giving His people instruction here in the doing of their duties before the face of God, there is this tension here. Do you see it? The constant reminder of just how sinful we are apart from the righteous blood of Jesus Christ. Continuing this theme of our taking heed of ourselves as we live before the face of God, Jesus now adds to this picture that he's painting here for his disciples. And he says in verse 5, And when you pray, you shall not be as the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. As I mentioned before, beloved, this chapter really is one of the most searching chapters in all of Scripture. And it is so because of verses like this one. And if we're not careful, we skim right past it. We think, oh, I get that. Let's just move on. Jesus is here laying out the negative side of our lives lived to his glory. He's telling us what we are not to do. And simply stated, we are not to be hypocrites. We're not to be like them. We're not to be them. We are not to be play actors in the Christian life. That's what the word hypocrite means. The scribes and the Pharisees were hypocrites. They were play-acting at righteousness. They were play-acting as the holy ones. And so does anyone else that chooses to live his or her life for both the attention and the praises of their fellow man. 
a sobering truth, isn't it? Because I'm guessing we all do this to some degree. I know we do. Again, this is not a concept that I believe that I need to spend too much time convincing you of the veracity of it. If you are honest with yourself at all, you recognize the constant cry of your own flesh to be recognized, to be acknowledged, even praised by those around you. I'm not the only one here this morning that knows exactly what Jesus is talking about and who finds himself convicted by those words. We want to be noticed. And in the church of Jesus Christ, our flesh is constantly moving us towards the desire to be noticed for things like our piety, our religious life, our so-called spiritual disciplines, our spotless, pretty, well-organized and structured lives. We want people to know just exactly what we have done for God and so we do what people do. We call attention to it. Does that sound familiar? Do you recognize this desire in your own heart? Beloved in Christ, you do. I know you do. Jesus certainly knew it existed, and he could not give instruction for our lives lived under the sun without referring to it and warning against it continually. There is a reason for his methodology. He's not dealing in obscurities here. But of course, there's much more for us to consider here in verse 5 than just that. Think about what Jesus is implying here. What it says about our need for the grace of Almighty God to have any hope whatsoever of redemption. Think about the depths of our own fallenness that is in evidence in this one simple statement of Jesus Christ. Maybe you've never thought about it here before. Think about what he's saying. Even when we approach sacred, blessed communion with Almighty God through the avenue of prayer, we are to keep ourselves aware of exactly who and what he is and exactly who and what we are. Do you understand? Even when we approach the throne of grace, when we come into the very presence of Almighty God, we must understand that apart from the grace of Almighty God in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have the stain of sin all over us. And so Jesus must warn that the danger for the child of God is to give ear to the flesh And even dare to approach God in prayer, all the while continually conscious, not of the eyes of God being upon us and our sinfulness, but of the eyes of men. Jesus says, absolutely not. Do not pray like the Pharisees, who are not only aware of the eyes of men, they have been play-acting for the eyes of men all along They are hypocrites. So, do you see the tension here? Even as Jesus is about to launch into a discussion on on how we, as the particular people of God, are to approach this blessed gift of prayer, he warns us first, search your heart. We are reminded of what we are apart from the wonderful, amazing grace of Almighty God. The negative, heart-rending news is that 
beloved, we need to be warned. (laughs) Because we are like this. We are prone to this. But the beautiful positive side of this, beloved, is that it certainly doesn't end here with the warning. There is, of course, verse 6, which tells us how we are to approach God. Although we in our flesh desire something as shallow as the praises of men. So in this negative statement, we see the first principle that we are to follow as the true children of God in prayer. This is it. When we pray, we are to, in taking heed of ourselves, realize the tendency of our own flesh to be conscious of the eyes of men. We are to shut out the world. We are to be aware of our need for exclusion here. We are to shut out or exclude the world when we pray. We are to shut out or exclude other people, even those praying with us as we pray. Now, let me be clear. This does not mean that we pay no attention to other people's prayers. It simply means that we are not to put on a show. We are not to try and dazzle with our eloquence. We are not to call attention to our knowledge. We're not to call attention to ourselves. We're not even to seek their approval when we pray. We are to come into the presence of Almighty God and we are to speak through Jesus Christ to Him. Now, I need to add here, this is of course not a call for you to not take part in prayer meetings or to ever exercise public prayer. We see throughout the Scriptures examples of godly men and women praying publicly. Jesus never did and of course never will contradict the Word of God. It's impossible because He is the light and in Him is no darkness at all. He is the fulfillment of the Word. He is the truth. And so if you find yourself clinging to this portion of Scripture as your rather pious-sounding reason for not taking part in a prayer group, for not praying with the people of God, I want you to understand that doesn't fit. You are wrong. And though your answer might sound perfectly pious to you, it is in fact the direct opposite of what Jesus in fact is telling you to do here. He's calling on you not to become more aware of yourself before even his bride, the church, but less aware of yourself. You understand what I mean by that? You are called to not only exclude the world when you pray or even your brothers and sisters in Christ as you pray, you are to forget yourself entirely because it's not all about you. Think about it, beloved. The only thing we bring to the floor when we approach a perfectly holy and altogether just God in prayer is our sin and our shame. So forget about what everyone else thinks that you are bringing because according to the word of God, if we are the true children of God, if we have been united to Jesus Christ by faith, we are all bringing the same thing. And it's certainly not our worth in and of ourselves. That's the first great principle that we need to consider. We are to enter into prayer having searched our own hearts, having taken heed of ourselves, and having witnessed our need to rely solely on the amazing grace of Almighty God given to us through the person and work of Jesus Christ. We are to look towards Him. 
And we are to forget ourselves. We are to fight the call of our flesh to be self-focused, self-interested, and we are to fight the urge to lean in just a little and worship ourselves. We are to exclude everything around us and enter it, albeit imperfectly, into the presence of Almighty God. Beloved, we've heard it before in this sermon of sermons given by the Savior of mankind. We are to rid ourselves of the need to live for our own pleasure, to please ourselves. We are to live as before those who live before the very face of Almighty God. And the second principle here flows out of the first. Having denied ourselves, having excluded to the degree that we are able in our current situation, our current condition, the things around us, such as the eyes of others, or our own eyes for that matter, which makes us conscious, of course, of the eyes of others, we are to come to the realization of whose presence it is that we are coming into. When you and I pray, As a matter of taking heed of ourselves, we cannot help but to take heed of who it is that we are approaching. You understand, when we come to prayer, we are approaching the throne of Almighty God. The creator of the universe and everything contained within it. The one whom the wind and the waves eagerly await his command. The one who scripture refers to as an all-consuming fire. We must realize who God is, what he is, if we are to approach him with something even akin to awe and reverence. We should say to ourselves that we are about to enter private communion. We are about to come into audience with the Almighty, the Eternal, the one and the only true God. Beloved, I'm asking you, do you do this when you pray? Do you consider who it is that you are approaching in prayer, or even who you are neglecting to approach for that matter? And I ask not as a means of frightening you, but as a means of calling you to take heed of yourselves. When you pray, you are coming into an audience with the eternal God. And though that rightly sounds a bit terrifying, I want you to understand from the word of God that he has lovingly, mercifully called you to come and he equips you to come. He commands you to come and he gives you everything that you need to come. And it's not without absolute knowledge of what we are that he does so. God is omniscient. That means he knows everything. He's all knowledge. He's all knowing. He knows all. He sees all. And yet, he calls us into sweet communion with himself through this avenue of prayer. Beloved, we need to realize this if we're ever going to celebrate the wonderful truth of it. We need to understand what it is we are doing when we pray. Not simply as a means of falling on our faces in fear, but knowing that this God, the God of the universe, the God in whom there is no imperfection, the God who is perfectly just, who is perfectly holy, who absolutely hates sin with a perfect hatred, because of Jesus Christ, 
He calls you and I to approach him. To come into his presence, not as the wretches that we know ourselves to be, seeking our dose of justified wrath, but as children approaching their father, trusting him entirely for their well-being, seeking not the wrath we deserve, but the love and mercy that he's given us because of Jesus Christ. Do you see that? Jesus says that when we pray, we are to go into our room, we are to shut the door, we are to exclude everything around us, including ourselves, and we are to pray to our Father who is in the secret place. And our Father who sees in secret will reward us openly. Do you understand what he's saying here? Beloved, how I pray that we do. If only we would realize that we are called by Jesus Christ, the very children of God. And he bids us to come to our Father. And When you and I pray, that's what we are. We're like children going to their Father. We're not to close the door and let everyone know we close the door as a means of somehow looking more righteous to men and God alike. Closing the door is not your work to perform to earn his favor. We close the door because nothing is as wonderful as leaving the cares of this fallen, temporary, fleeting, fading, troubled world and going as trusting children to the face of your loving Father. Nothing. Those who are parents here this morning, I trust you feel the full weight of that statement. You know what it's like when your child comes to you acknowledging his or her dependence upon you, trusting you completely like children to sustain them, to provide them with what they need, to bring them safety. This is how we are to come to God when we pray. We know because of his spirit illuminating the pages of scripture before our eyes, what we are and what we bring to the conversation. We know because of that same supernatural illumination of Scripture by the Spirit of God, solely of grace, who and what He is that we approach. Beloved, I hope it fills you with joy this morning and the strongest desire to have this sweet communion with Him. To know that despite what we are, sinners in need of grace, despite who He is, the perfect God, the one and only true and eternal God, He calls us to come to Him as children coming to their Father. I think when we absolutely grasp this truth, we can truly say with understanding, along with the hymn writer, oh, what a privilege it is to carry everything to Him in prayer. Everything. And the third and final principle that we are to consider in our approach to prayer again flows out of the two preceding it. We're to shut out or exclude everything around us when we pray. We are to realize exactly who it is that we're seeking to have an audience with when we pray. And when we realize that Almighty God has called us to come to Him like children coming to their Father, we realize that we are to do it with confidence. We are to approach God with childlike confidence, which is a fruit of God-given faith. 
And again, parents, I I hope and understand that you feel the depth of that illustration given here by Jesus. You know, I praise God that I had the kind of father that makes this point hit home with me. My dad was a a business owner. We had a family-run trucking company, and my dad wasn't really the type to sit behind a desk. He was kind of a hands-on business owner, which meant he was away from home all the time. He actually drove one of our trucks, and he felt that there was a a need for him to be in front of our customers and set an example for his employees. And he was always there with the customer to hear what they thought of of our company and what kind of job we were doing. I talk about my dad all the time. Everybody knows he was bigger than life to me. But one of the things that stands out to me about my dad was that as a child, I can honestly say that I can never remember a single time when I didn't feel safe. He didn't have to be physically present because he rarely was. Just by nature of me being his child, I felt safe. I felt like I was cared for, that I was loved. I could go to him with anything. I don't want to paint an, uh, an untrue picture. My dad was a flawed man in many respects. But he was a great father. And I want you to understand, we have this picture here of, of this kind of relationship with Almighty God. We can go to him with childlike confidence, knowing that because of our relationship to him as his children, through our union with Jesus Christ by faith, that we are saved. That we are cared for. That we are loved. And that we of all people are most welcome. Do you know that when you pray? That you're safe? That God cares for you intimately? That you are loved and that he welcomes you? You are welcome to come into his presence? His fatherly, providential hand supplies everything we need. And in his paternal relationship to us, he knows what we need before we ever even ask it. We are told that he hears us when we come. And that he freely rewards us. And Beloved, I want to tell you how desperately I think we need this assurance. We need to come here again and again and again. We need to know this. Do you see God this way? We have no need of coming before Him, hoping to wear Him out with silly repetitions, hoping that by our constant repeating of some formulaic prayer that He will eventually have to hear us, that He will be somehow forced to act on our behalf. We are called to come to our Father as children who know and believe and trust that they are loved by Him. You understand the difference. You know, I've always been a little bit uncomfortable with little ditties as prayer. Because we're never called to go through the motions and then somehow call it prayer. We're never encouraged to work at pleasing God through clever little repetitions or rhymes. We are called to come as children who are knowingly coming before their Heavenly Father whose love for them has never for a moment been in doubt. His love has been clearly established. So we're not to come with indifference. 
We're to come with full confidence, trusting by faith that the one that we come to loves us as his children, not because of what we've done, but despite of it, despite it, because of what he has done for us. Do you understand, beloved? This is part of that gratitude that moves us, is the children of Almighty God towards obedience in this life. This is what thankfulness looks like. What a privilege. What a a blessing God has given to you in prayer. Do you exercise that privilege, that blessing? Beloved, I want to ask you, if you do, why? Why do you do it? Why do you pray? Do you find yourself only praying out of desperation when chaos is reigning or at least appears to be reigning? Can you do it too much? Consider some of these questions raised this morning and know for certain what your motives are for doing what you do. Do you pray privately as well as corporately? Is prayer part of that life of rejoicing in Christ? Is it your delight as the child of God? Ask yourself, whose eyes are you most conscious of when you pray? Beloved, search your heart this morning, even now as you worship Him. Who are you worshiping and why are you worshiping Him? Look to Jesus Christ and that certain promise of the gospel that in Him we have been completely reconciled to the Father. And because of His work, because of His righteousness being imputed to us, it is as if we have never sinned. In Him, by faith, we are blessed to come. Why wouldn't we come? Come to your Father with the full confidence that because of Jesus, you are the child of God. You are an heir of salvation in Him. You are one that can come with full confidence that because of Jesus Christ, you can expect mercy from the hand of your Father who loves you. We who are bringing to the table only our sin and our shame, but who know that because of Jesus, We come not as the paupers that we are so wont to be, but as princes, as heirs, as the declared legitimate children of Almighty God to our loving Father. Beloved, he bids you come. Will you come? Let's pray.